This is the Room Now podcast for January 4, 2019. Yes, it's the new year, and this podcast is brought to you by Room Now Live. So let's start out with a very happy new year to all of you. I hope that you enjoyed the week off. I want to start with some advice for the new year. This I put out on the website. Number one, these are all lessons that take a long while to learn in life, and Uh, My favorite one is just show up. You'd be surprised what happens when you do show up. There are a million reasons not to show up, but when you do, you'll surprise yourself, you'll surprise others. It's definitely the way to go. Number two, if you think you can, then you must do. You know, all too often we talk ourselves out of things, including showing up, but there's a lot of stuff we can do, and we know we can do it. It's just a matter of pushing the button, moving forward, nose down, ass up, move forward. You can do it. Number three, live each day as if it was your first or your last or your make or break day. Sounds kind of Hallmark card-ish, but honestly, if you really did actually take that approach, um, you'd be surprised what your day might be like. I have a friend who has a wonderful saying that I try to invoke when things aren't just so great, and that is uh, best performance ever. That's the attitude she goes to work with. It's not that she's acting, it's just that someday she needs to pull out that best performance so that the rest of you don't know that she's having a tough day, or having a great day for that matter. And let's end with teach, which is where we're going to begin with on this week's news. Our first report is about chronic urticaria and osteoporosis. When I saw this, I couldn't understand the relationship here, but it comes from an Israeli population-based study, and they took over 11,000, almost 12,000 people who had chronic urticaria, compared them to 60,000 controls, and looked at the incidence of osteoporosis down the line. Turns out that those with chronic urticaria had a 23% increase risk of developing osteoporosis and that when they segmented out the population who had been exposed to steroids it wasn't steroids that was causing the osteoporosis tells you there's a lot more to osteoporosis than you might imagine and that um, you know with urticaria you have mast cells and other things going on that we know are going to be involved in bone health Uh, and so this is not surprising and is kind of teaches us a little bit more about osteoporosis than just a single significant clinical association uh, a reanalysis of the case data was published by uh, Peter Lipsky and colleagues. Um, this looked at the um, time to resolution of atophis. You remember in those trials, uh, two different trials that were published, 40% of patients responded. Many patients had re- chronic refractory, severe gout with TOFIS, um, TOFI that were really impressive. And it turns out that resolution of TOFIS, they had a target TOFIS in the study, was more likely to be achieved by those who responded, uh, and that was uh, seen in almost 70% of patients who responded. Uh, Only 30% of patients who didn't respond, and only 14% of patients who were on placebo in those clinical trials. Um, The average time to resolution of atophis was almost 10 months, 9.9 months. So again, there's great benefit in really severe patients when this drug is used, but you need to be in it for the long haul uh, and need to be coaching the patient along on how to 
respond well and stay in uh, the therapeutic plan. An interesting series looked at vasculitis, IgA vasculitis specifically, uh, and what happens in pregnancies, 247 pregnancies, compared to 556 controls, showing that those who had IgA vasculitis had no increase in infertility. It did not, having um, pregnancy, if you had IgA vasculitis, did not necessarily induce more flares of disease. But like other autoimmune diseases, uh, like rheumatoid, lupus, etc., that the uh, getting pregnant was often associated with more spontaneous abortions, um, some other complications like gestational hypertension and preterm delivery. These were a little bit more frequent in patients who had IgA vasculitis. Again, there's a lesson to be learned here in even these rare patients who are often young and of childbearing potential. Um, Stills disease can be complicated by pulmonary arterial hypertension. I've seen a lot of Stills disease because I want to see a lot of Stills disease and I advertise that and people send me patients. Um, and I've seen two cases of pulmonary arterial hypertension. I've seen this written about. There's an interesting um, review of 41 patients in the literature that we writ wrote this week and it shows that 4.8% or 5% of those patients uh, developed pulmonary arterial hypertension. It was often severe and has a small but significant mortality risk. So uh, again, it's one of the unfortunate complications. I'm of the opinion that it could be the Stills disease. Uh, not ferreted out in their report, but I'm interested in whether or not it could be related to IL-1 inhibition or IL-1 inhibitor use. Um, it's gonna be hard to know in patients like this because they're so rare and many of them will receive IL-1 inhibition. Many of those who receive IL-1 inhibition will not develop pulmonary arterial hypertension. So anyway, it's just a thought. Uh, AVI has submitted its application to the FDA for uh, upadacitinib, its JAK-1 inhibitor once a day to the FDA and the EMA for a new indication, that being severe, moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, it's now going to go under undergo review. We'll see what happens in 2019 for this other JAK inhibitor. There are two other interesting reports that we wrote about this week. One was the use of a JAK inhibitor, tofacitinib, in a patient with severe refractory cutaneous sarcoidosis. Um, the patient had previously been tried on multiple um, drugs without success. Uh, and because of the idea that they have found in sarcoid lesions evidence of JAK and STAT activation, they went ahead and used the JAK inhibitor and showed really significant benefits, not only with regard to the uh, clinical outcome um, and also with regard to the uh, histologic uh, outcomes that was seen, but they also showed that JAK-STAT signaling was downregulated in the patient who was treated. Now, this is a, an N of one trial. I wouldn't run out and treat every patient with this, but I think it does, is an important lesson that um, the, the, the JAK inhibitors um, are certainly gonna be useful in other disorders, and this may well be one of them. This kind of research will probably lend to an, uh, another early phase two trial is what we'd like to see, because right now, who's managing sarcoidosis? especially the difficult cases. I find a lot of pulmonary doctors don't want to manage it, that many rheumatologists are forced into management, but they're not yet comfortable in treating sarcoidosis. So it's, I think it'd be nice if um, we were to see research in this area. Another interesting area that I've seen with, <laughs> with JAK inhibitors and with tofacitinib is control of patients with systemic onset Stills disease. Now, again, it's not, that's an IL-1, IL-6 disease. There's a little IL-6 uh, activity with the, uh, the JAK inhibitors, 
uh, um, not much in the way of IL-1, but there's a lot of uh, interferon activity and uh, that may benefit Stills disease patients. It's also been shown in, in a report or two that um, it does benefit Stills disease and that it may also benefit patients with the macrophage activation syndrome. So again, those are all case reports. Um, again, you wanna look for that literature, you wanna look for that research going down the road. So what else have we got left? We got one more report, and this one re last report has to do with the um, risk of sleep apnea in gout patients. This was um, not necessarily surprising. I've seen some of this literature before, and um, it actually goes both ways, meaning that in this particular study that we started out with coming from a UK clinical practice database, a large number of patients with uh, uh, sleep apnea, 16,000 patients were compared to um, four to one, four controls for every one patient basically. At a median follow-up of almost six years, they showed that um, a much higher rate, almost twice the rate of sleep apnea patients develop incident gout over time. And then when they've done all the, all the math and corrections and uh, multivariate analysis, the hazard ratio um, after one or two years was 1.64, a 64% increase uh, risk. Uh, it was also seen in patients at earlier dates. It was also seen in patients who are both obese and those who are not obese. So that's kind of a nice association. Does um, uh, uh, sleep apnea cause gout or does people get sleep apnea also get gout? And so the reverse has also been seen by um, Singh in Cleveland who had a report uh, earlier uh, last year, I believe, that showed in Medicare population, patients with gout had a higher risk of sleep apnea. So again, it's, it, we, we know that sleep apnea and gout have the same sort of strange bedfellows of metabolic syndrome, obesity, um, diabetes, etc. And those also happen to be risk factors for developing um, both of those conditions. So again, it's instructive to uh, in your management of patients with either condition. So um, we'll end with um, some of the, uh, I'll, I'll point you to the year in review, which we published today or yesterday on, on Room Now. I think you'll find it an interesting read. I go over my top 10 news items for the year. I'll give you a quick rundown before I send you off to bed. Number one, new drugs. The FDA has 59 new drugs this year, another record um, that you should look at. Uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors are a big ticket item for rheumatologists. Two surveys I've done in large audiences recently showed that half of rheumatologists have seen patients with musculoskeletal and autoimmune events associated with these immune checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, and it's something you need to be familiar with if you haven't yet seen that. I think a big event is going to be Sandoz versus Amgen currently in court on the patent issue of Enbrel versus Irelzi. Um, you know, we have six biosimilars in the marketplace, but very little use. I think um, this particular case, which should be decided on sometime in 2019, may actually ch uh, flip the switch on biosimilars in the United States uh, or delay it even further for that matter. Um, the fourth item, opioid crisis continues. It's just plain ugly out there. And of course, the people who lose the most and being victimized are the deserved pain patients who really do need strong pain management. Um, you don't know Jack. Um, Jack inhibitors are gonna get big in 2019 and beyond with, um, now we have uh, the growth of tofacitinib, but also now the growth of baricitinib, a drug improved in 2018, and then newer ones coming down the pipeline. 
Um, the ACR Hot Topic, my decision was it was the same PSA study, methotrexate versus etanercept versus the combination. Read what I wrote to see what I wrote. The lupus trials on fire, used to kinemab, baricitinib are looking good in lupus, and afrolimab looked good in phase two, but crashed and burned in phase three, but yet it's still in development. We have a lot of new, exciting new drugs in lupus, including tick inhibitors, BTK inhibitors, vocal spore, and the calcineurin inhibitor. Um, the, all that is unknown about medical marijuana. I think you should read this paragraph again. Um, medical marijuana is approved nationwide in Canada, soon to follow in uh, Mexico, and is currently approved in 21 states in the United States uh, for medical use and another 10 states for medical and recreational use. This is an economic, social, and political windfall, but an evidence-based disaster. Uh, number nine, the walk of shame on expensive drugs. I'll just say the names. You go to the website to find out the price. The drugs that we're talking about here is cupramine. That's an eye-opener. Actar, you know about that. But what about drugs like Duexis and Vimovo, and how do they compare to um, the combination of diclofenac and misoprostol? And lastly, senolytics. Um, some new research on senolytics is appearing more and more in applications in multiple disorders, but in our case, arthritis and specifically osteoarthritis. Uh, I think you should look at it. It's kind of an interesting area. That's it for this week. Got room now. Uh, and I think you should go to the website to find out more about these particular citations and get the references and read on. Be sure to look at the roomnow.live. That's roomnow.live website to find out more about our big meeting coming up in March. You know, rheumatologists like us want to go to meetings that are a good use of our time. This is a weekend meeting. It's two days. It's very affordable. It's got the world's best speakers. You're going to be able to have day-long conversations with those delivering the content. You can talk to them during the, during the lecture, after the lecture, in a panel discussion, during the breaks, and for the rest of the day or next day that they're there. I think you'll find it interesting. So, again, roomnow.live. Be there. See you next week.